You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Hey, Crossroads. My name is Dan Chapin. I am the high school and young adults pastor here. It is so good to be with you here today. Where are my students at? Where are you students at? Yeah, all right. You're waking up still. That's okay. I'm fine with that. Well, our mission here at Crossroads is to lead everyone to discover Jesus and to follow him fully. We believe that every person should have a one in their life. Yes, that's right, a one. One person that they're investing in, that they're helping point more towards Jesus. And this week, I really want you to pay attention to that one for a second, because we're going to come back to it near the end of the message. Well, uh, thanks again for being here. Hey, what's up online? So good to see you, Crossroads Online. Uh, don't forget to connect with your chat host if you are online. I encourage you to write in the chat, interact with service. And if you have any questions or need prayer for anything, they are there to connect with you. Well, uh, our world likes to think that we're a really accepting culture, doesn't it? Uh, in our country, we like to think that we have a place for everyone, no matter the differences that they might have. Uh, but we, and we also see this uh, in, in a lot of different ways being played out. We see this need for being accepted being played out in the beauty industry, where companies are trying to create the most shades of color cover-up for all the people that can be included in that. And then Target, for the last few years, has included and changed their lineup uh, to have a a vast array of different mannequins to accurately include all customers of different sizes. And really, inclusion and acceptance of all people has become, well, kind of trendy, hasn't it? Um, And rightfully so. We should be applauding people uh, no matter their differences because they are ultimately be, are made in the image of God and they have that uniqueness of him inside of them, no matter their differences. But I would suggest that we all are accepting up until a certain point. Uh, sure, we may applaud diversity or uniqueness or inclusion from afar, but what about when difference comes to our doorstep? When it comes down to it, if we really were honest with ourselves, there are people in our lives that really, really don't want to be accepting towards, that we don't want to be loving towards or even willing to include in our lives. And there are people that when you think of them, you don't just ever want to be around them. You never want to be around them ever again. But don't we all have people in our lives like that? I mean, like, like really, we all have a negative pers- perspective towards someone in our life or a group of people in our lives. Maybe it's a certain group of people at school, right? It's the jocks, the goths, the nerds, the people who watch anime. Maybe it's the group of family members that always get together, never seem to invite you over for that family meal or family party. Or maybe it's political, right? I mean, if Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy were to invite you over for a meal, like, what would you say? What would you do? How would you act? Or even, honestly, worse than that, Packers fans. I mean... Really? Like, they are so smug, so irritating. As a lifetime Bears fan, I just want to smack that little cheese head right off their faces. Dan, you're preaching. Just focus. All right, focus. Calm down. Come on. Come on. Get together. All right. 
But uh, if we're really being honest, there are all limits that we have with being accepting and being inclusive and being loving towards others. And maybe it's because of the way they live, but maybe they're just a little too different from us. But maybe it's not a matter of difference. Maybe it's a matter of something that they've done. And maybe you think to yourself, you couldn't possibly see yourself being around them anymore because of what they've done to you. And as much as we want to be inclusive and caring and loving of everyone, the reality is we all have limits. And because of that perspective of them, we all have people in our lives or people in our world that we like to label, and we like to label them those people. Those people. We all have people in our lives that we just can't stand. But have you ever thought to yourself that maybe, just maybe, we could be those people for someone else? Maybe it's not just a matter of them. Maybe it's also you as well. I'm sure I'm one of those people. I'm sure I have a lot of irritating things about myself that bothers people. Um, For example, did you know uh, two years ago uh, at Hume Lake, uh, I was leading a cabin full of freshman boys. And while I was leading that cabin full of freshman boys, the first night we went through, I woke up in the morning and I was kicked out of my own cabin. That's right, I was kicked out. I'm the youth pastor. I'm the one that's supposed to kick people out of their cabins, all right? And as I tried to like figure out why am I getting kicked out of the cabin, it's because I snore so stinking loud. That's why I snore so stinking loud. It was so bad that in the middle of the night, the entire cabin left the cabin and walked all up and down the hillside of Hume Lake trying to find a better place to sleep. They were, they, the students were so bad, were struggling so bad with my snoring that they'd rather sleep on a log than hear me sawing logs, okay? It was bad. It was really bad. I got kicked out of the cabin, and then my lovely wife, she had to deal with me. There, she was like in a little mini hotel thing that they had there. Poor, poor woman. Please play, pray for her. She needs prayer, and she needs sleep more than anything. Um, but if we are being honest, we are all those people. We can't stand those people, and just at the same time, we are those people. And I bring that up because in this week's perspective, uh, we are gonna be interacting with one of those people. We're gonna be interacting with one of those people that Jesus interacted with, with a man named Levi. Now, last week we launched this series going through the book of Mark, and last week we saw that Jesus is personal and not distant, and in Mark chapter two is where we find ourselves today, but I just wanna give a fair warning. This story that we're gonna go through is in the middle of Mark chapter two. Jesus is in the beginning of his ministry and he's building his team of ministry leaders and calling them disciples. And he has also started to perform a few miracles along the way. And and there's this really cool story about a guy uh, who has four buddies. They take him to Jesus. The The home in which they're in is so crowded. They go on top of the roof, dig a hole, lower him down, and Jesus heals the man, forgives his sins. And a few months ago, Pastor Brian, he said, hey, um, One of my favorite stories, most impactful stories in all the Gospels is this story right here at the beginning of Mark chapter 2. And I just want to let you know, we're not going to go through that, okay? And you're probably thinking to yourself, Dan, what's wrong with you? Why are you giving us the B-roll on this? I don't know. Well, here's the answer. I want you to go through the story yourself. 
I want you to get personal with the Bible yourself and to go through that story sometime this week. By the way, we've got a really great resource for you to help you do that. Students, listen up, okay? We got a Mark reading plan that we want everyone to go through. And uh, to sign up for that, I encourage you to go to crossroadsgrace.org slash Mark or follow that QR code. The QR code in the chair back in front of you is also another spot that you can sign up for that. You'll get text messages daily with the Bible reading plan uh, directly to you. And what I just absolutely love about this is one, our team has put a lot of effort into it. Two, you can go through it with the generations. So your family, your parents have a a different reading plan that goes through similar similar passages. Uh, Students, you have one tailor-made for you. Kids have one. It's just amazing to see that God can do incredible things throughout the generations as a result of going through the Bible together, which is so awesome, so cool. I encourage you, take advantage of that. Lead your families well. Have them sign up for that. We would love to see you go through that. I believe God can do absolutely amazing things in your life, in your family, at the mealtime, you know, before the mealtime, as you're driving to practices, whatever, as you dive into God's word together. And here's another thing that I just want you to think about. This stage is not meant to lead your entire spiritual life every step of the way. You should be in this book because if all you're doing is relying on this moment right now as to grow a little bit closer to Jesus or discover more about him, you are missing out. You are missing out. So I'd encourage you, dive into the Bible reading plan, get into it, and see what God could do in and through your life as a result of you getting into his word, okay? Will you do that for me? Will you do that? All right, cool. All right, so let's get back to Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two, Jesus has gotten really popular. And large crowds are starting to follow him around. They're starting to follow him and try to figure out who Jesus is. And they want to know what he is like, what he is about. They're captivated by his teaching. And Jesus is starting to establish himself as really being not just a wise teacher, but God himself through some of the miracles that he's doing. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, we see this. Not quite there, let me get there. All right, Mark chapter two, verse 13, it says, once again, Jesus went outside beside a lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now, you may not know it, But this request of Jesus to this tax collector is absolutely scandalous. It's totally scandalous. It's it's impossible for this culture to think of a tax collector being someone that Jesus would want him to be following. Jesus in that culture, they were, they they are not Jesus in this culture, that culture in Jesus' time desperately did not want a tax collector to be part of the in crowd. And if you didn't notice, tax collectors uh, have probably never had great reputations throughout history. Sorry if you work for the IRS, I know. I love you, I'm sure people love you, but we just don't like what you do, okay? It's necessary, I get it, whatever. Some of you don't think so, but it's necessary, whatever. I get it. But in Jesus' day, tax collectors were Jews. And they were seen as kind of like sellouts to Rome. And Rome would hire these guys, these men, to collect taxes for the government. But the, the collectors had 
uh, total freedom to add any tax that they wanted above what Rome was already asking. And Rome was totally cool with it. They actually knew that. It was kind of like a commission job. Hey, you just get this amount for us, and then you can charge whatever you want to. And so basically, they were being paid to steal from their own people. And it was kind of like this. It's kind of like, they, like as their need was, they decided to go for it. So it's kind of like, you know, imagine like the family dynamics of this. Like, like oh, honey, what's that? You, 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 want, you, wanna, you wanna go on a vacation to Athens with the family? All right, let's do another tax, right? Or, or, or what's, what's, what's that, honey? You, you wanna make an addition to the home for young Hezekiah? Okay, let's add another tax. I know how I'll raise money for that. Or, or, or what's that? You want a cherry red hooved donkey for little Hezekiah? Okay, let's add another tax. That sounds fantastic. And you guys thought Washington was bad? Like, this is a new level of bad, right? So the tax collectors, they would start to extort the money from their people, from their own people, and have the power of Rome behind it. And this meant that people had no way of resisting the tax collectors whatsoever. I mean, just think about it. As these dudes sat there with grins bigger than a 49ers fan imagining Brock Purdy starting in a Super Bowl, I mean, these guys, they had to fork over, people had to fork over their money to them because they couldn't say a word about it. And that is why tax collectors were seen as being in the slimy little class all in of themselves. I mean, even sinners who did really horrible things will look at these dudes and go, dude, that's messed up right there. That is just wrong. That is just wrong. So that's the reputation that Levi lived with. Imagine your Levi. Let's think about it from his perspective. You're sitting at the tax collector booth, an outcast, having insults hurled at you daily, and the people you grew up with, the people that you call family, don't even see you as one of them anymore. Your life would probably be threatened daily if it wasn't to, for the two Roman soldiers that were standing on either side of you. But who are you kidding? They're not, they're not your friends. They're not your buddies that you see every single day. They don't really care what happens to you. All they care about is what happens to the money that you are collecting for them. Even the people who are there to protect your life don't care what happens to you. You are one of those people. Because one of those people is lonely. It makes you bitter. And it makes the very people that you want acceptance from be seen as your enemy. There's gotta be a better way to live than this. Yet you, Levi, you start to hear the rumblings about a man, a man that's starting to gather large crowds around him. And you even hear a story about four guys breaking through a roof to lower him down to meet Jesus. And not only does he heal him, which is completely bonkers, but then also forgives his sins in front of the religious leaders. No one's allowed to do that. Only God is allowed to do that. Like this is next level right here. Who is this man? And it's no sooner that you have that thought that the man Jesus himself comes to you, looks you dead in the eye and says, follow me. Follow me. 
me? You think to yourself, right? Me? But but I I'm a I'm a but you should never. I mean I mean doesn't he understand who I am? Doesn't he understand that I'm one of those people? I'm one of those people. Now let's pause for just a moment. Because what Jesus has done is nothing short of a simple, miraculous occurrence. This simple action says so many things. But there's one thing that I want to catch particularly about this occurrence. There, and it's, it's, it's along these lines. There is no one who needs to clean themselves up before they come to Jesus. There is no one who is too far of an outcast for Jesus. There is no one too separated from your culture or upbringing for Jesus. There is no one that Jesus will ever label as those people. You see, when it comes to our background, our sin, our doubts, our culture, what you need to know is that Jesus is not for perfect people. Jesus is not for people who've got life all figured out. Here is the perspective that we need to get and understand about who Jesus is in Mark chapter two, and it's this. The fresh perspective is that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Now, before you might check out and think, is he really, Dan? Let me think about this, because here's what I don't mean by this. Jesus is not for everyone in that he is a genie ready to give you all the desires of your heart. That's not what I mean by this. Jesus is not for everyone in in that he is going to affirm every life choice that you could possibly have. Honestly, in the book of Mark and all throughout the Gospels, Jesus confronts as much as he lovingly accepts at the same time. He's always willing to call people out for what's going on. That's not what I mean. Here's what the Bible says about him being for everyone. In... um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus is for everyone in that everyone has an opportunity to be able to come before Jesus and give their life to him. In Galatians 3, 26 to 28, it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. All of you who are baptized in Christ have closed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, is, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here is what Jesus is. There is no religious background, economic status, gender that can disqualify you from having the opportunity to know who Jesus is. As a result of knowing Jesus, everyone can be part of the family of God when they put their faith and trust in him. That's because Jesus is for everyone. And you may not think it. You may be thinking to yourself, not me. Dan, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the pain that I feel. You don't know the pain that has been caused to me and how could possibly God ever forgive me? You don't know the background of where I grew up. Dan, you don't know the culture that I grew up in that turned me away from church. And let me tell you, you're right. I don't know. I don't know what you've been through. All I can know is the shoes that I have walked in. 
but Jesus knows. Jesus, the perfect son of God, the God of the universe, knows exactly how you have been treated, how you've been wounded, how you have been broken. And Jesus wants you to know that he is for you. And he is for those people. And he is for everyone. You see, there is no barrier too big that Jesus is kept away from you. Jesus is for everyone. Who are you for? And do we live in such a way that Jesus is for everyone? And we see that Jesus is for everyone in the lives that we live. To answer this, let's go back to Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two, verse 15 to 16. And in it, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? <sighs> did you catch that? Did you catch what Levi did at the beginning of that reading? I mean, did you really catch it? Because if we're not careful, we can miss a huge part of Levi's story and what I believe he wants to do with our, with our own life. It says that while he was having dinner at Levi's house, dinner with tax collectors, with sinners, with disciples, with Pharisees, and with Jesus, I mean like, this is a mind-blowing experience. They're supposed to be separated and not together at all. What made Levi do something like, like this? I mean, Levi doesn't just keep Jesus to himself here, does he? After all, I mean, doesn't he know what you're supposed to do when you're outraged by people and don't feel like you can get along at all? You're supposed to stay separated from them. You're not supposed to be around them whatsoever. I mean, there's some real danger here, isn't there? What was motivating Levi? I mean, what was motivating Levi for him to, to go from like scum in the earth to getting everyone from all different backgrounds together? And I think we can catch something from Levi about his perspective here. And the text doesn't necessarily say what I'm about ready to say. So we're gonna, we're gonna like just recognize like Bible over here, Dan's perspective on what I think could have been behind the scenes here. And uh, my guess is that Levi thought something like this, right? Let's see, how are these people gonna meet Jesus? Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of like fighting around. There's a lot of diversity that's here. What if they just got together with each other? I mean, they all disagree with each other. Some of them agree with each other and with Jesus. What if I got them in the same room? I mean, and maybe, just maybe, they, that Jesus at that time could maybe win them over somehow. Or, or maybe he thought something like, you know, how cool would it be if like, I got people together and maybe something like the paralyzed guy being healed and his sins forgiven, that, that, that could happen again. Or maybe Levi, Levi thought something like, you know, if all these people really knew the, Jesus the way that I knew him, like the critics and those that think so differently or think that we're not good enough for them, like maybe Jesus could change their mind. And, 
And, and just maybe everyone could see Jesus for everyone like I see him. But, but how? How do, I, how do I get these people together of, of such crazy backgrounds, of such, such demanding rules and no rules, and how do I do this? A meal. I'll put a meal together. I'll get some food on a table and I'll have people over and, and we'll eat a meal and we'll see what God does because people become people when you're sitting at a table. And, you know, I'm sure he also saw the danger too, right? Because this is really a dangerous thing that's taking place here. I'm sure he wondered if his actions would be misunderstood, if it would start a fight, if Jesus could get stumped and with a question that would be kind of embarrassing for everyone. I'm sure that he, what he thought, though, that there was a greater fear that ultimately left, leapt into his mind that, that changed his direction and caused him to move, to take a risk, invite people over, and talk about Jesus and introduce him to Jesus. I'm sure there was one thing that was so terrifying, he couldn't possibly not act. What if I did nothing? Then eternity is at stake for somebody. If I did nothing, if I didn't introduce them to Jesus, if I didn't show that Jesus was for everyone, someone's eternity could be at stake. I've got to act. I've got to do something. You see, Levi, his perspective is he just, in my opinion, I just think he just had to. Like he was driven to see people come to Jesus and even in the most simple way, by having a meal together. In contrast, the, the Pharisees, they actually uh, didn't feel the need to include anyone in anything. Uh, they wanted to exclude as many people as they could in life so that it seemed like they were just that much more special. And the Pharisees thought that they were, they were better than anyone. In fact, there were moments throughout history that as people, uh, they, they actually had a name for this. They called people unclean. So anyone who was far from God, that they saw as far from God, they would, as they would walk by, they go, unclean, unclean. Even people with lepers or, or boils all over the body, as they're walking through, they would think to themselves, they are being cursed by God. That's why they have those problems going on in their life. Unclean, unclean. They would step back and be like, okay, we're just gonna stay away from them. But look at what Mark's perspective is here of the Pharisees. He writes this down. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why, why, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> the Pharisees were not happy. You see, Jesus doesn't mind taking off a few people, right? The Pharisees were not happy. They saw this group of people that were at Levi's table as just being too messed up. They're just too screwed up. Like, why are they here with this guy who we think he might be the Messiah? I mean, they're unclean. This culture is not meant to have them around us at all. And, and so, so why? why? Why would God allow, why would this person allow these people into this opportunity? Like, these people should be shunned. These people are, like, diseased practically because of their sin. They're sick beyond healing. Jesus, and, and Jesus, being the really awesome, cool God of the universe that he was, he either read their mind or overheard their conversation. And he responded to what they had to say. 
And in Mark chapter two, verse 17, it says this. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but repent, but sinners. I just wanna give you a quick challenge before we go any further. If you are looking for a passage of the Bible to memorize, if you're like, you know, this year I really wanna get into God's word, I really wanna be reminded that Jesus is for everyone, I encourage you, memorize this verse because it has significant meaning when we bring it in to our hearts through memorization. But what's so interesting, let me read it one time. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What sense is it for a doctor to only work with healthy people, right? I I mean, if you broke your arm today and it looked like a pretzel and it looked like really gross and disformed and all of that, one, I know a doctor you could see, but uh, but two, like if you're just just like broken and falling apart and you go to a hospital and you come before them and the doctor says to you, wow, you're really messed up. You're just too broken for me. This place is only for the healthy. Go somewhere else, leave, get out of here. That would kind of defeat the purpose of having a doctor, right? That would kind of defeat the purpose of having a hospital that if you're wounded, you can't go there for treatment or to get better. Jesus is not for perfect people. And Jesus is not for people who have got it all figured out. Jesus is for the broken. And let me tell you, church, we are all broken. You and me especially have been in our own woundedness, our own brokenness, and we have got to admit this. We are broken. And we all have people in our lives that are broken too. We all have people in our lives that label us that way. We all have those people in our lives. People who think that we're those people. We are all sinners. We are all Pharisees. We are all traitors. We are all liars. We are all people deeply flawed. And yet Jesus wants to include you at his table. And he wants to include other people at his table too. And when he does that, it magnifies his beauty and his glory and his perfection. When we are surrounded by him and we are people that are seen as broken but yet loved and accepted, Jesus calls us to ask everyone to follow him. So why does he? What do we need to do with this info? What do you need to do to ask people to meal? To be willing to say, join me. Because what what I believe that, that this passage can help us with is to understand not just how we can help other people come to the foot of the cross, but how we can daily come to the foot of the cross as well. Only when we humbly admit, only when we humbly admit that we are all sick with sin and can brace a life that starts to address the root problem of why we really aren't all that inclusive the sin that's in our hearts, 
for how we judge other people. We call them other people, those people. Instead, God wants us to live out a radical life just like Levi. He wants us to see this fresh perspective of Jesus that Jesus is for everyone. So whatever happened to Levi? I mean, we get this little vignette of his story and his life, but what happened to Levi this, this, this first, at this first attempt, at this first try of introducing people to Jesus? What happens next? Well, one of the trends that was pretty common for Jesus to do was to rename his disciples. And for example, uh, Simon became Peter, and later on, Saul, an apostle, became Paul. And so there's this name change stuff that happens a lot. Uh, Levi's a disciple of Jesus. What is his name changed to? Well, who is this tax collector? Levi's new name that Jesus was going to change. The man that was rejected, the traitor, the tax collector, the one who was exiled by his religious group, the man who was uh, cast aside by his family and his ethnic group. What was this man's new name going to be? What would Jesus' name for him be after all of this? Matthew, as in the gospel of Matthew. Here's what Matthew would later write. What he would write down the words of Jesus. And I, I think it's really powerful for us to keep in mind and how Jesus is for everyone. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20, this is a passage known as the Great Commission. It says this, therefore, this is Jesus talking, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, of all groups, of all backgrounds, of all ethnic and religious groups, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, for surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, Matthew went from being one of those people to being someone who records the words of Jesus that says we are to be for all people, everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is who we are to point people to no matter what's going on in their lives. The seeds of this great commission have transformed our world, has transformed our lives, has brought us from the point where this was a Jewish Israel religion all the way to here in Manteca, sitting right before you today. It's because he penned the words of Jesus, all people, guys, we are all those people. We are all those people far from God, far from Jesus, deserving a life separated from him for all eternity because of Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We are able to experience life with him. So here's what you need to know. God is in the business transforming those people. If he can use Matthew, Levi, how is he going to use you? And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, Dan, I just don't know enough. I'm not trained enough. I'm not far enough along in my faith. 
I don't know how I can do something. I don't know how I can help my one come to Jesus. Well, let me give you some starting points, some handles to go through. That kind of leads us through our, our tag you moment. And the first tag you piece is this. Sign up for the Bible reading plan. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote some of it, okay? Um, but I am saying it because if you are not in this, if you're not building your life around what this book says, then you are always going to feel ill-equipped. You will. Because God's word is there to equip us for love and good works, prepared beforehand since the beginning of the world. So here's the deal. Sign up to the Bible reading plan because you can grow closer with Jesus so you can impact the world and show that Jesus is for everyone, especially your one. The next thing is invite a diverse group of people to a dinner. Invite a diverse group of people to a dinner. Here's what I would love to hear in a week or month or two, that you sat down, you had people of diverse backgrounds together to discover Jesus together. Like, what if you had a meal with your one and a few other people, some were believers, some were not believers, so that you could see what God might do in their life? What if you did that? I would challenge you to do that. This, the third thing I want you to do is ask what barriers you might have put between you and Jesus. Our sin always separates us from God. But sometimes we think that our sin disqualifies us from experience a life with Jesus. And in some ways it does. Because you can't have a life with Jesus without belief in him. Without an understanding that he has died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not a matter of what you've done. It's what you believe and understand about who Jesus is. It's, it, it's not about your culture. It's not about your background. It's not about that one wrong thing that you did. It's about our whole lives. It's, it's giving that over to Jesus. So my question to you is, what barriers do you think are disqualifying you from Jesus? I want you to seriously consider what those are. Because Jesus wants you to see them as a first step towards living a life with him. He wants to break down those barriers for you so you can have an eternity with him. And so now we're going to step into a moment of communion. And what is communion? Communion is an opportunity to recognize what Jesus has done for us. You see, we're all sick with sin. We all need the great physician in order to transform our lives. Shoot, in order to get through the day to day. I don't know about you, but I can't do this without Jesus. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna step into communion and it's a reminder to us that Jesus is for everyone, that he's an option for you, that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have eternity with him forever. There's no barrier too big that he cannot overcome to where he can walk with him. So let's, as we sing this song, let's step into communion and be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done for all of us. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. 
If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast. Thank you.